Good morning. There's uh, one line in the song here. What language shall I borrow to thank the Lord? <clears throat> Welcome to the guests. And uh, thank you for bringing these songs this morning. Or good reminder, uplifting. It is mostly what I want to speak about this morning. And um, to bring our attention to Jesus, the sovereign of the cross. So that we can see the love and the compassion of God. And I thought about it the last few days, and you know, there, there's, I don't know if it's the same in your life, but there's not too many times we actually stop, just stop and meditate on what Jesus did. And yes, I understand that we're that we're caught up with with the issues of the day and how to move forward and vision and uh, uh, even sustainability and pre uh, preservation and living the life that God has made possible, that Jesus had made possible through through His passion. But I've noticed. In general, we, we do not put much um, thought and meditation into his suffering. His suffering as a man, where he, where he suffered as a man, where he, he felt the emotions as a man, where he felt abandoned as a man. The verse that we, that we all have memorized, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The word give just gives us something to, to ponder and to think that he gave him for something. It wasn't just spending some time here on earth and he goes and is seated at the right hand of his father, which is true. But he gave his only begotten son for something. And that is just the fact of leaving the glory that he was experiencing with his father in a fellowship. Just that alone would be enough. But it was also the suffering and the cross. And he went on to say that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the only way. And when God gave his son, he knew that he must suffer for our sake. So let's bow our head this morning and invite the Lord into our midst. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are privileged. We are thankful 
that we can take this time, Lord, to be reminded of your love, of your sacrifice, of you, Lord Jesus, coming to this earth, suffering, dying, and being resurrected, Lord. Lord, we pray that we can grasp a hold today of your suffering, that you were in all things as we were, but yet you suffered. You who are the only begotten Son, the beloved of your Father, Lord. Jesus, we, we thank you this morning. And may our hearts grab a hold of that love. May our hearts grab a hold this morning to de devote our life to you, to, to surrender our life to you, Lord. And to see that there is only one way that is through you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that you bless our time here and, then we, and so that we can just get a glimpse of Calvary, Lord. So we thank you. Pray for your presence here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the complete story of Jesus, I believe, when you look at it, starts with leaving the glory of heaven. Coming to the earth in the form of a man, dying, suffering, no, suffering, dying, resurrection, returning to the glory. In, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it's talking about Jesus, it said, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, Coming in the likeness of man. It's talking about Jesus as God here. And being found in appearance as a man. God being found in appearance of a man. He humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Now there's such a thing as being obedient to death. But the death of the cross is another level. And we'll talk about that later, which is the mockery and the shame and basically the most, one of the most horrible ways a human being can die. And as we go through that, keep in mind, Jesus didn't have to do that. God didn't have to provide a way. Keep in mind that this was an innocent lamb. This was God coming. It was innocent. He overcame sin. And he overcame death. And was resurrected from the dead. Philippians 2.9 Therefore God also has highly exalted him. And given him the name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth. And those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Father. So this is the life of Jesus. He came from glory. He came and suffered. And he returned to glory. And at that name of Jesus, like it or not, 
Every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And yes, he is exalted now and above every, every name. But nonetheless, our Lord Jesus walked in obedience to his heavenly Father as he prayed in Gethsemane, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. There was no pride. There was no personal agendas going on. He said, Thy will be done. He was obedient even unto death. And as I mentioned, the death of the cross. And this is what I like to speak about this morning. The agonizing cruelty of the cross that Jesus endured. It's the theme that is emphasized in my heart this year as I, as I meditate on, on Jesus and his passion. Jesus and his suffering, especially the cross. So for our scripture reading, our text this morning, I would like to go to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verses 16. <clears throat> Start at verse 16. And in Mark, chapter 14, we can read about the pre-crucifixion events like um, the betrayal and arrest in Gethsemane, which Jesus' agony regard is a suffering that is so extreme that it's even hard to comprehend. It is, it is already a suffering in itself, a, a mental and an emotional suffering and distress. And we, we'll, I'll cover a little bit before we go to Mark 15. If we go back to Mark 14, verse 33, he began to be troubled and deeply, be deeply distressed as it led, led up to the, to the event. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Stay here and watch, he told his disciples. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So he came into the garden and here was, were his closest men, his closest friends, his closest associates that, that he had here in this earth. And he, and he said, just stay here and, and wait and wait. Stay here and watch. I think, I believe in, in different gospel, he even told him to pray. And I'm not sure about that now. But it's some. It's if my memory serves me right. And here he comes back, and they were sleeping. So even even there, he goes through this agony, this deep distress, this this trouble that he went through, and his soul exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And here his uh, his disciples, his closest friends, didn't quite get on that bandwagon, on the, should I say bandwagon, on feeling with him and, and knowing what he went through and snoozed off and fell asleep. Isn't that so familiar of our flesh? And, and here Jesus 
went uh, through with, with his with his closest friends. And in in thirty six, you, you can see the the connection that he that he went to his father and 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 just pleaded in a, in a very personal way. The New King James Version puts the Abba Father, which is a is a personal way of addressing God as a as a father that 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 we can associate with, that we can love, that we that that understands in a personal way. And he goes back and pleads with his with his father to, if it's possible to take this cup away. Then he, but then again he said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And that whole encounter in the garden is is a suffering in itself, as it's, it's said, it it records his sweat, whereas drops of blood. Now, we can go back and forward exactly what that means, and we can read up about it, and there's uh, even medical explanations on it, but we won't go into that. But you again get the picture of the distress that Jesus had. It wasn't easy. And that account in the garden is a is a, is a picture of, of suffering that Jesus experienced before he went to Calvary. And then there's the whole Sanhedrin account, Peter's denial. And most of his disciples left him. So, yeah, okay, so we're going to start reading in uh, on verse 16 of the 15th chapter. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. Like, they called together the whole garrison. Here's a man. Let's have some fun on this man's expense. There's something to do here. I, I can see just the cruelty of soldiers um, that were trained to kill, trained to, to show for cruelty. And here's one man that we can, that we can uh, experience the cruelty on. So they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple. And they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And I'm sure that wasn't a gentle gesture there. And gently put it on his head. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and let him out to crucify him. When I read these accounts, especially this mockery here, that these very men, as we read in Philippians, will bow their knee to him. Can't imagine what, what they will go through. But hopefully they found repentance. Verse 21. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as was coming out of the country and passing by, 
to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine that every man should take. That was the third hour, and they crucified him. And have you ever thought, talking about the shame and the, the cruelty of the cross, the idea that they had his garments, what does that mean? He most likely hung naked, just about totally naked. That in itself is a shame and humiliation. If it ever crossed your mind, the fact that they took his clothes and they divided among themselves. I heard, I once heard a, a minister uh, preach on that. And he said, just the fact that, that Jesus hung on the cross naked, in shame, where, where it was, it's God's, God's heart to be covered up. This is God's son. God's people should endeavor to be covered. It should be one of their goals to be covered, to, to not help mock the Lord. On a cross. And in inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. Verse 27. With him they also crucified two robbers. One on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That seems to me like. Was another part of the humiliation of the cross. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed a temple and built it in three days, save yourself. It come down from the cross. And the mockery just continued. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that he may see and believe. Even those who crucified with him reviled him. Now, we can read this here and say, well, that's, that's the nature of the cross. But keep in mind, this was Jesus. This was the Son of God. Absolute mockery. Verse 33, Jesus dies on the cross. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here we, he's coming, he's, he's at his very end. He's experienced the mockery, he's, he's experienced people mocking him, those, those very people that he came. Passing by and mocking him. His own disciples scattered. And here he's crying out. This is the anguish of his human, of his human emotions, of his, of his 
of his being left alone, crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. He will stop here. So as we, as we read here, I'm sure you noticed, and that's one thing I would like to focus on about the cross, is the suffering, the suffering of the cross. And just in this passage, there was quite a few reverence to, to suffering. And some of the things I'll be covering are just what scholars have gathered through historical accounts. But first, I want to emphasize, we have to keep in mind when we talk about the suffering of Jesus, that Jesus was innocent. And the only reason he suffered was that he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the only reason he suffered. As I said before, can you imagine? We should be thanking the Lord every day that we were not part of those people that, had, that made him suffer. Can we imagine the privilege that we have today that we can look at the Lamb, at Jesus who had suffered, and believe on him and walk according to that? The privilege that God's people have. When you start meditating on, on that particular privilege, you start to realize when there's judgment on people that take so great of a salvation and tread it under their feet. You, can, you, you start to understand. It, it, the picture gets clearer. Jesus came to save that, that which was lost. The enemy knew that. And it was out to destroy him. But the enemy was defeated at the cross. He was defeated when Jesus overcome the death and the resurrection. And the, and the resurrection. Jesus' blood was shed for our redemption. The verse we read yesterday. In, I'm going to do it in NLT. Listen closely. In the same way. He took the cup of wine. After supper saying. This cup. This cup. Is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. An agreement confirmed with my blood. 
It's an amazing concept that God's perfect son had to come to earth to die for our sins, that we might be saved. The sacrifice, just think about that again for a minute. The sacrifice that was needed and was given. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. Not only did he not receive him, but his people. And now I'm speaking on the perspective of he came in flesh. And not only was he not received by his people, but they had him crucified. The long-awaited Messiah. Just meditating on, on all, all of that makes me even wonder why God still has patience. Here, the long-awaited Messiah is coming. The answer to all our problems, the answer to the problems that were prior 2,000 years before that. And from the first day he was on this earth, there was trouble. They were trying to get him. Peter told the Jewish council at Jerusalem after trying to quiet the disciples or address the situation on healing the lame man. He told him, be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, he's speaking to the nation there, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set and not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Here, he's pointing again to Jesus, who you rejected, and there is no other way forward. This was huge to a people that relied on the law and on, on the books of Moses. He said, there is, there, neither is there salvation in any other, in any other thing, in any other. But by him, for, there's no, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The apostles, the disciples proclaimed that. They knew after Pentecost, they preached with boldness. But Jesus knew that. Jesus knew all that all the time. When he went through his suffering, when he was rejected by his own, when he was rejected by his own, and he went into Gethsemane, to the cross, he went with that knowledge, and yet he saw the rejection of his own people. Isaiah 53, with that in mind, Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Can you imagine that? Having that knowledge, Knowing what he knew, knowing that through him, there's this the only hope that man has is through him. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And if there ever walked a man that didn't deserve the cross, it was Jesus. But he did. It was the only sacrifice in the eyes of God that met the standard so that he could forgive us and see us pure and washed. And that is through the atoning sacrifice of the cross. So let's talk a little bit now about the shame and the mockery of the cross. The cross was for the worst kind of criminals and for serious political offenders. It was especially used to make a public scene and an example to not meddle with crime or political activities that threatened the government. And I was thinking about that, even the offense, the king of the Jews. Was that some justification that the Romans used? And, and when Pilate said, what well, I've written, I've written. It, I, even though they caved on probably under the pressure that they were under from the Jews. Prisoners were left hanging. It was believed outside of the city wall, elevated so everyone could see them passing by. Jesus was hanging on the tree, portrayed as a criminal, in between two thieves, shamed, mocked, degraded to the condition of the worst criminal of the day, and he was totally innocent. Deuteronomy 21:22. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him, hang him on a tree, on a tree. Here we see how it was to be dealt with sin. And we deserve to die for our sins. But Jesus took our place. And verse 23. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree. But you shall surely bury him that day. So that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as inheritance. For he who is hanged is a curse of God. Just think about now what kind of death Jesus died. Sin deserving of death. Hanging on a tree. Yet he was innocent. In Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law said we should die. So we can see how Christ became a curse for us. According to the law, we deserve to die. But he saved us from the curse of the law. Looking at us, no one is righteous. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But Christ took these sins upon him and redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That very thought is is a, is a shame, enduring a shame and a mockery, or not a mockery, but a shame in itself. Just think about it for one minute if you would be accused strongly of a wrongdoing. Especially a person who tries to to build character, to come closer to the Lord. And here a person is, is wrongly accused of wrongdoing. How that hurts. And here we have Christ the, as innocent. Never before the history of, and never there will there be in the history of mankind, was a man or a person that innocent as Christ, as Christ was. So moving on, in our text in Mark, we read earlier, we read earlier, documents a lot of mockery. And we covered him pretty good as we read through it. First, he was betrayed by one of his disciples. The rest abandoned him. When he became before Pilate, they mocked and clothed him in purple. And they twisted a crown of thorns to put on his head. They saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. At the crucifixion, they stripped him of his clothes and hemming, hung him for all to see. The people pass, passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. <laughs> look, at, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, this God, but he cannot save himself. Let this Messiah... This king of Israel come down from the cross so he can see it. So we can see it and believe him. <clears throat> Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. Where did Jesus ever deserve such treatment and mockery? He didn't. But he went through with it because he loved us. On top of all that was the physical suffering of Jesus. We'll go through that a little bit. Roman floggings were known to be very, very brutal. They usually consist of 39 lashes, but frequently were a lot more than that, depending on the mood of the soldier applying the blows. The soldier would use a whip of braided leather Thongs with metal balls woven onto them. When the whip would strike the flesh, these balls would cause deep bruises or contrusions, which would break open with further blows. The whip had pieces of sharp bone as well, which would cut the flesh severely. The back would be so shredded that part of the spine was sometimes exposed because of the deep, deep cuts. The whippings would have gone all the way from the shoulders, shoulders down to the back of the legs as the flogging continued. The lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscle and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. A third century historian by the name of Eusebius describes the flogging by saying the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscle, sinews, and 
bowels of the victim were off, open to expose. Many people would die from this kind of beating even before they would be crucified. Jesus was already in a very rough shape as he carried the cross to the execution site at Calvary. He was dehydrated and was hypovolemic already. What happens when a person is hypovolemic? The heart raises the pump blood that's not there because of all the laws of blood. The blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. The kidneys stop producing urine to maintain what volume is left. The body becomes very thirsty as the body craves fluids to replace the lost blood. And all these, in the account of Jesus, is the reason why he collapses, the reason why he, he asks for thirst for water. So Jesus was in hypovolemic shock as he carried the cross to the execution site at Calvary. He collapsed. Later we read that Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus was, Jesus was already in serious to critical condition before the nails were driven through his hands and feet. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Isaiah 52, 14. At the sight of the crucifixion, the falling would have taken place, as far as we know. Jesus was laid down and his hands would have been nailed to the outstretched position to the horizontal beam. The vertical beam was permanently set in the ground. The nails were spikes, five to seven inches long and tapered to a sharp point. The spikes were most likely driven through the wrists. If they were driven through the palms, the weight would have caused the skin to tear and the arms would have fallen off the cross. However, the wrists were considered part of the hand in the language of the day. The spike would be driven through the crush, the main vein running out of the hand, causing excruciating pain. The word excruciating means out of the cross. He actually created a new word because nothing in language could describe the intense, intense anguish caused during the crucifixion. Next, Jesus was hoisted, and the crossbar was attached to the vertical stake, and the spikes were driven through the feet, crushing the nerves, creating more excruciating pain. The result of hanging on the cross, where the arms were stretched probably at least six inches in length, and both shoulders would have been dislocated. A slow, painful, and agonizing death caused by asphyxiation would result from crucifixion, which is a lack of oxygen, suffocation. The stress in the muscles and diaphragm put the chest in the inhaled position. To exhale, the individual must push up on his feet so the tension on the muscle would relieve for a moment. This would result in the spike tearing through the foot, locking up the tarsal bones, which is the bone makeup of the feet. This process would be repeated each time, pushing up to exhale, scraping his bloodied back against the coarse wood of the cross. This would continue until completely exhaustion 
would take over and the person wouldn't be able to push up and breathe anymore. And of course, that means that by could be by suffocation. A sphere was thrust from below through Christ's organs, releasing fluid and blood. He would have still been alive if the spear would have killed him. Jesus was barely alive before he hoisted up for a crowd to watch him expire in agony and certainly dead when taken down from the cross. Theologians suggest that Christ's three to six hours was a relative short period of time because of the trauma that he suffered prior to being crucified. Inflammation fluid buildup put his organs under pressure. They could not function properly without blood waste removal. And I have often wondered why Jesus died. And these two thieves on his sides were still alive. But I don't think, we cannot read anything that these thieves, these robbers, they experienced flogging and all kinds of other cruelty before they came to the cross. So it is suggested that Jesus was nearly killed by the time he came to the cross. And as we just read, it even fainted and he couldn't carry his cross anymore. And it just gives, again, a picture of the cross and the cruelty of it. And it's not something that we we thought just take lightly. And uh, we think that if we talk about the cross or think about the cross or wear a necklace of a cross, anything like that, that we are identifying with him. There has to be something deep, deep inside of us that recognizes the preciousness of the cross. At the same time, the cruelty of the cross and to not take it for granted. And so as we meditate and sing of the cross, like when I survey the wondrous cross that we did this morning, I really appreciated the, the, the call to meditate and to sing it prayerfully. <clears throat> or Jesus, keep me near the cross. Remember the cruelty, the shame, the mockering, and the suffering. Jesus became flesh and suffered and died for me and you. And with that said, it it gives us a um, it gives us a a responsibility how we conduct our life. Remember, we talked a lot the last few days about identifying with the bread and the wine. Jesus commanded us. He told us to pick up our cross. To pick up our cross. And to follow him. So in closing, I want to read Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. (coughs) Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. 
For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgressions and disobedience received a just reward, that is, as I get her, the old covenant, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Amen. So the cross is not something we take lightly. It is something we're thankful for. Yet it is something that we realize it came with a great price. And the, the passion that, that God poured out through the whole life of Jesus, we cannot even comprehend that love. And Jesus said it, greater love had, had no man known than that of a man laying down his life for his friends. So may that these principles be our be our guiding be our guiding truths as we as we seek to to serve Christ in a real in a real way. So amen. <clears throat>